This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 52 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, October 4th, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we talk about Star Wars Squadrons and Crash Bandicoot 4, offering impressions of those, and debate yet again the value of crunch in the AAA industry. We'll look ahead to the coming years of Xbox Series S and X goodness and take listener questions. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I do each and every week before we begin the show, I want to offer a quick word of thanks to someone who's made my gaming week better. And this week we give a shout out to Adam Leonard for crafting the XEP logos, banners, and color schemes a year ago at this time when this show launched. That's right, this is the year anniversary of XEP, and Adam was the one that created all of the art designs. And you'll notice on your podcast feeds this week, Adam has refreshed the logos a bit in celebration of that anniversary. He is an incredible artist. You can find him on Twitter at the Art of Adam L. And I'll certainly be putting his link in the show's description. But Adam, thank you for doing the touch-ups to the logos and for bringing such a high quality to those logos in general, man. It's a, it's a pleasure to get to display your art, and I appreciate it. Plenty of gaming news to talk about in this past week as demo and prototype units went out to influencers and content creators, people putting the Xbox Series X through its paces, showcasing what it can do with load times, what it's doing with backward compatibility. Still no showing of anything new on the Xbox Series X that I've gotten to see thus far from those content creators, but I am greatly looking forward to it. I will tell you what, guys, I am fresh off of a day of a very intense Sea of Thieves game play frustrating opening to the voyage and then an incredible ending to it playing with Ainsley Bowden from over at season gaming and having a good time with Mr. Badbit and Kevin Butler Uh, and it was never more apparent to me in that session how much I am looking forward to the fast loading of these new systems I was fine I was fine with the load times of Sea of Thieves and whatnot prior to getting to see the Xbox Series X in action from from Jeff Grubb and so many others and I cannot tell you now how disappointed I am when I look over at that that Xbox One X over on my shelf with its minute plus load times for any number of games and it's funny how that happens and I'm sure you know the more gameplay we see from next gen as it, as it begins to release uh, the more we'll look at those old systems and think oh how could I have, I have ever been okay with this or that and and that's some, a question we'll get to later on in the show with, with Ray Apollo's write-in uh, but it's just funny to see how impressive the Xbox Series X is performing with those load times in various testing scenarios, in any number of backward compatibility showcases. Really cool to see what that system will do hardware-wise 
with software that was not optimized or even designed for it. And it makes me very excited and hopeful for just what uh, those things are that we're going to see that we don't even know about just yet for next gen. The things that we couldn't know about for next gen just yet later on in the future as developers get their hands on and really optimize the experiences for those boxes. Man, it, it makes me excited. It makes me so excited because right now when I'm playing games like Avengers, games like Sea of Thieves or Gears or, or, or any other games that are, are pushing the latest out of this hardware, it's easy to see just how strained this tech can be even with the mid-gen refresh units it's just it's wild to note how how much the xbox one x can struggle getting all that data and information out into the, the the gaming space and so i'm excited to see what the xbox series x can do and in this first news piece, uh, it's really showcasing uh, what it, the Xbox Series X is going to bring to the table on November 10th when we do see it go live uh, with something like EA Play. It was cleared up and announced that EA Play, formerly known as EA Access, would be uh, jumping into joining Game Pass. That's going to happen on the launch date the launch date, rather, for the Xbox Series S and X. Microsoft announced that Xbox Game Pass service would be adding EA Play in the holiday, and it would be a huge boost to that subscription service. Moreover, I feel as though it's very much taking the place of what you might might have for a launch lineup. We're seeing a lot of games that you can play on last gen, which does happen whenever you launch a new system, but games that can be played on last gen Xbox One hardware being optimized and specialized for the Series X. You're seeing EA Access go in there to truly, I think, take the place of a lot of launch lineup titles that we're not otherwise getting. Of course, Halo Infinite is going to be talked about in the lead up to this launch as being the big absentee title, the title that was supposed to be there at launch. Uh, and, and we went over last week all the games that you would be able to play that are been coming out around that time. But for Microsoft to be adding EA Access this holiday uh, was a big boost in and of itself to the Game Pass you know, discussion. And then to find out that that's going to be happening on, on day and date with Next Gen really makes that day feel that much more special. And I wonder genuinely what EA Play's numbers or what the, rather I should say the engagement of EA Games what, what that starts to look like after November 10th. Because, of course, EA Play is not just for next-gen. All the Xbox One units out there uh, from Xbox One OG through S and X, respectively, how many people will be engaging with more EA games than they otherwise would due to Game Pass? That's the data that I'm most curious about. And I have to imagine that's going to be a great boost to the service that already got a huge boost in numbers. We're seeing now that it's got 15 million-plus subscribers to Xbox Game Pass. Uh, and then, of course, the announcement of the Bethesda news. What does that do for, for the numbers there? I cannot wait to find these things out later down the line. When you think about when you think about Xbox Game Pass and what that means for any gamer when they log in, whether it's November 10th or later, you have to think that they're going to be getting access to all the first-party lineups for Xbox titles. Then they're going to be getting xCloud, Game Pass for PC, any future Bethesda titles are coming to that service with older Bethesda titles being added back in. And then EA Play as an added value. I mean, that's just wild. And I will tell you this right now. Any listener right here, if you've not checked out Titanfall 2, the moment you get access to EA Play, nay, I say you go out and buy it right now. Titanfall 2 is the best first-person shooter to showcase this generation. I stake my reputation on it. I don't know what that means to any of you, but bottom line, Titanfall 2 is fantastic, and I strongly hope that, that any of you will check it out. But 
I'm stoked, and, and finding out that EA Play is joining specifically on November 10th, I think really adds uh, a greater weight to that day that was needing a few uh, launch-specific games to go along with it. Of course, Gears Tactics and Valhalla and a few others are going to be there, but it's nice to see that this service is offering something that is not on a rival platform. Uh, any any talking points you get for that is a strong one to have. So bottom line, if you're an Xbox Game Pass subscriber, next gen or not, you're going to be getting EA Access or rather EA Play on November 10th. Look forward to that. Check it out. Play it via, play some EA games via xCloud and really just let that joy sink in and what you're able to do there. But I'm looking forward to November 10th for a bevy of reasons. Bottom line, lots to look forward to as a gamer and I'm stoked for it. While the opening topic was far more celebratory, we look now to a story that could be a bit more frustrating to quite a few people, and that is the topic of crunch, and specifically relating crunch to CD Projekt Red, makers of Cyberpunk 2077, The Witcher 3, and more. Uh, the team has announced that they would be having a mandatory crunch cycle up until launch over the next six weeks, and uh, that is... That is raising eyebrows, to say the least. Of course, Jason Schreier, who often reports on these types of topics, reporting for Bloomberg that CDPR employees were told they'd be working six days a week, uh, mandatory up until the November launch. And this is contrary, but mind you, to a 2019 story in which CD Projekt Red came out and publicly stated that they would be avoiding crunch in an effort to continue improving their morale and culture. And this news was a contradiction to that. Now, a bit, of, a bit of nuance is important to consider when you think about this. It's far more complex, I think, than, say, uh, when you find out that Naughty Dog has been crunching their employees for over a year or something like that. This is, is a bit odd in that CD Projekt Red is pushing against crunch culture but is now having to do it in the lead-up. However, each of their employees is paid for overtime. Uh, my understanding is that each employee does it at least one week of mandatory, uh, and then they get some leeway in that. There's 10% profit sharing across the entire team, and according to Polish law, they'll be compensated for every single hour they work. That is a very mixed level of, of approach to that. And I want to read you Adam Badowski's studio, who is the studio head, his statement on Twitter in which he directly quote tweeted Jason quote quote tweeted quote tweeted Jason Schreier's article, emphasizing that employees will be paid for that overtime and the frustration he has for it. And he says, quote, "These last six weeks are our final sprint on a project we've we've all spent much of our lives on." Something we care for deeply. The majority of the team understands that push, especially in the light of the fact that we just sent the game to CERT and every day brings us visibly closer to shipping a game, we want to be proud of. This is one of the hardest decisions I've had to make, but everyone is well compensated for every extra hour they put in. And, like in recent years, 10% of the annual profit our company generates in 2020 will be split directly among the team. End quote. Again, a lot of emotions to have in this, a lot of ideas postulating around uh, the interwebs, reactions. I know I tweeted pretty abruptly without having truly considered the, considering the layers of this story that they should simply delay the game because I do not enjoy the amount of human hours uh, that need to be sacrificed for entertainment. And I stand by that sentiment and that mentality. Video games are not nearly the important things in life as 2020 has certainly shown many people, I would hope. Uh, compared to, say, hospital workers or whatnot, crunch is an extremely unhealthy type of culture if it becomes mandatory uh, and if it becomes an expectation that can certainly sour and, and demean 
morale. And I can tell you in my own personal career as an educator right now, uh, it's it's really tough in this virtual environment because you have so many people hotly contesting every hour uh, that you do or don't work and where you are. And I can only imagine it's that much worse in a pressure cooker of putting out something in a billion-dollar industry. That said, I want to walk back my initial reaction where I and just jumped the gun and said, hey, delay the game right now. Not because I don't think they should. I do think that crunch is bad and we should avoid it. However, in reading a bit more about this, this sounds more to me that creators want to be proud of the product they put through, put out there, and that they attach their names to. And I think about my long hours with various XCP episodes or putting interviews together. I think about projects that I'm very passionate about in my personal life and in my professional life as well, where the expectation has been met and I want to go a step further to to make sure that I am proud of the product that I am putting out. I do not have near the talent or artistic uh, you know, ability that many people creating a game like Cyberpunk 2077. I, I can't even come close to that in almost anything. And I can only imagine the personal standards that many of those artists and animators and anyone else involved have to themselves. And if that's the spirit of this type of a crunch environment, then I think I, I think I would yield to more experienced people in that. And I would say that's what the studio and the people involved truly want. The dangers of that mentality uh, and accepting that mentality are how do you know it's not a boss just standing over his people kind of accidentally, you know, volunteering people to do something or, or it not be anything uh, that's not expected of them anyway. How do you judge that? And I think on the outside looking in, we cannot do that. There are studios that have culture that is systemic that might force their employees into a state of unhappiness. I've not regularly heard of CD Projekt Red being of those. So I will reserve judgment a bit, a bit less sharply than I did on Twitter in my gut reactions and still state very clearly that if any studio is bringing a game to me, a game that I'm set to buy, set to enjoy, and I'm thinking of things like Assassin's Creed or Halo Infinite or anything else that is just right up my alley, I would not be comfortable thinking or knowing that they are crunching specifically to bring me a game that I can wait for. When it comes to entertainment and video games, we can wait for that. Those are not primary senses of urgency, and I don't want anyone in an unhealthy situation. I do respect artists creating art that want to put in their time to make the best they can with their names attached to something. And I think those are case-by-case, very nuanced, very layered, complex things that on the internet, uh, without being there and without being around, we just don't have the information to judge. And I don't know how to accurately or truly state many of these things uh, because it's it's almost it's almost impossible to compare without having being in the room and feeling the vibe that goes with messages of hey we need to work more to put out the product we want to put out. I mean, when I think of all the games and I look at all the statues on my shelves of all the games that I love and things that I adore on my wall, how many of those games had to be created with crunch? How many of them could have been created without crunch but I would have had to wait for? I know I am personally fine waiting for all of them. But if the artists and the animators want to do those things, that's a little bit different. It's just such a slippery slope. So, you know, take this how you will. Do you take Adam Badowski's comment, particularly given that he quote tweeted Jason Schreier's article 
to directly address it? Do you take that in any form of solace? Does it put your mind at ease? Let me know how you feel about this topic. Many of you wrote in last week letting me know uh, whether or not you got an S or X and it, how the pre-order process went for you, and I really appreciated that. Uh, gave me a lot of perspective and hindsight on that process. Um, if you're able to do that with this situation as well, tweet me at insipidghost. Email me insipidghost at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on Crunch. Let me know if this one feels different to you. And if I'm way off in my interpretation, spot on or anywhere on that spectrum, I'd love to know just how you're intaking this to better help my understanding of it overall. Silly, almost non-news, and I'll couple it uh, together with the Games with Gold information, but Minecraft Steve was announced to be going into Super Smash Brothers, and it was really fun, I think, to watch all the Nintendo and Xbox social media accounts talk to each other about getting Steve into Smash Brothers, the love that they're putting into, what is it, since 2014, a Microsoft property in Minecraft, but certainly Minecraft belongs to everybody and is on multiple platforms. It was really cool to see, yet again, Microsoft working with Nintendo to get a Microsoft property into the Smash uh, franchise, or get their franchise into Smash overall. Of course, we saw that with Banjo recently. We've also seen Nintendo and Xbox playing quite nice with one another in socials for quite a while. And a lot of games that were initially exclusive on Xbox making their way over to the Switch, and that's been exciting to see. Ori 2 is now available over there. Ori and the Will of the Wisps, one of my games of the year, perhaps one of the best platformers ever made, is now available on the Switch, and that's I think that's fantastic. I, I really enjoy the culture mindset of Xbox lately. Play where you want to play, what you want to play, with whom you want to play. Even seeing their socials responding to people who said, hey, I'm getting a PlayStation instead of an Xbox, and they're saying, hey, have fun, that's awesome, enjoy your games. I like that, and seeing Minecraft Steve and the celebration around that was really cool because, of course, it's the most popular video game in the world, one of the most iconic and recognizable characters in gaming, and given that that's been done in the last two generations, it's insane that Minecraft Steve is as recognizable now as Super Mario and Sonic the Hedgehog. Pretty darn cool. Uh, but it's nice to see that that happening. I have personally fallen far out of Smash. I, I stopped enjoying it. The infrastructure online was not sustainable for me to keep playing it uh, with interest, I should say. But it's it's great to see, and it, you have to wonder how many people were thinking about you know their character being or not being into that into that franchise because Smash is of course a it is a metric for registering just how popular your franchise and game can be. But it was cool to see Minecraft jump in there. Uh, very quickly, also, Games with Gold were announced, and that was exciting. Uh, for some, I would say that this time, again, the offering's not so big. They're certainly putting more weight and effort into bringing bigger titles to Game Pass, and I think that's the right choice. I think it's time to get away with Games with Gold, but so it goes. I did like, though, this month's offerings because it was themed. Spooktober, of course, being that theme with Halloween on the horizon. Four different spooky-type games were put out. You'll be getting Slayaway Camp, Butcher's Cut, Made of Skur, uh, Sphinx, and the Cursed Mummy, and then, of course, the trick-or-treating fix with Costume Quest, which was a joy to play back on the Xbox 360. And Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy, of course, that's an OG Xbox game. Uh, I, I like the theme stuff. I think I'm a, I'm a sucker for that. When I see all types of spooky games and Getting into the spirit of a season, I think that's kind of a fun thing to do overall. I even reached out to a friend of mine, Ben Rivers, who is a developer of games like Worse Than Death. We've had him on XEP before and asked him for some of his favorite uh, games to play on Xbox One right now. And he tweeted back, he didn't know I was going to put this in this show. We'll see if he actually listens. Uh, but he said, you should absolutely be playing Resident Evil 7, which is my personal favorite, of course. Uh, and then he recommended The Coma 2 Vicious Sisters as an indie title 
for uh, if you want a spooky game on the horizon. And I'll add in myself, if you haven't played Layers of Fear, those are some great spooky games for sure. I'm a sucker for stuff like that. I've got the Evil Within queued on my Xbox, the first one. Uh, I started the second one and didn't quite get into it, but given that Bethesda's back in the, the, the Game Pass era, I think I'm going to check that one out for sure. I don't know, what are your favorite spooky games? I'm in the camp with Resident Evil 7, Layers of Fear. Uh, I'm thinking about, back in the day, it was Resident Evil 4, but I gotta say, there are some really good scary games that are good for more than just jump scares out there, and I'm curious what you enjoy there. Are you gonna check out these games with gold? I know, Made of Scare, definitely one I wanna check out. I'm gonna play The Evil Within. It's fun to get into the season. It's nice to be themed and happy on that one. This is Paul Bettner, creator of New Super Lucky's Tale, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Well, man, we are rocking and rolling here in the Xbox world, having a good time here. I have been playing two games for review impressions with Star Wars Squadrons and Crash Bandicoot 4. In fact, we gave away Crash Bandicoot 4 over on Twitter, thanking several people for rating the show. I appreciate you. Matt Stein, of course, the winner of that. I hope you're enjoying it. Crash 4 is an absolute blast. So I've been playing through probably about four or five hours of Crash Bandicoot 4 at this point, and I plan to play more. This is a fantastic kind of 2D, 3D platformer in the traditional Crash Bandicoot style, but it's far more approachable. It is difficult, and more difficult, I would say, than something like you know Super Mario Odyssey or New Super Lucky's Tale, which I'm very high on both of those. I really do enjoy the platforming genre. But Crash 4 is harder than those games. However, it has systems in place that allow you to make mistakes and get back into the game quickly, and that's something I really appreciate. The moment you start the game, lots of accessibility options, which are, are great to have there. And then when you jump in, you can choose to play retro style, which is the very old style crash where you had three lives and that was it and you just did what you got to do. Or you can play something a bit more akin to uh, more modern games. And it's actually called modern where you have checkpoints and you respawn and whatnot. And I really dig it. I'm running, I'm jumping, the gameplay is gorgeous, it's simple, it's approachable, and, and levels up and scales very well in terms of difficulty and complexity. One of the, the masks that you wear in the game alters time, meaning that you phase shift different platforms in and out, and you have to bounce back and forth between those different phases of time to make sure that you can platform through the level. I'm enjoying it a lot. Grinding on rails feels like the best of Sonic the Hedgehog. Running and jumping feels like the best of 2D and 3D Mario platformers. Uh, and I'm having a great time. I would actually argue that this is probably the best Crash game to date and that you should absolutely get your hands on it if you like those uh, platforming style games. Again, note, please, that it's difficult. It's not a super easy game, even in the modern mode. I was struggling a little bit with you know where Crash would be landing. It's a bit different than what I'm more used to with Mario and Lucky and things like that with Spyro. Uh, but I'm digging it. I really am digging it. They've also got this really cool thing for players who like a challenge called flashback tapes. You find them within the level as you're unlocking various things through collectibles. And then you go back and you're playing classic uh, Crash-style levels that are extremely challenging. You have to bounce on every box to get through a level uh, without falling, and then you reset to the very beginning. It's great for players who are legacy Crash players, who definitely just love that old-school difficulty. Uh, but I'm not one of those people. I liked Crash as a character, but I could never beat any of his games. Crash 4 might be the first I go for the, the, the victory on. I go and try to, to finish there. Whereas in m most platformers, I try to collect everything and, and really go through it and get everything and max 
achievements and collectibles, all that jazz. I don't see myself being able to do that with Crash without some significant frustration. Uh, it's a, it's just too difficult for my personal taste. But I, I like the game a lot overall. If you're considering it, definitely give it a go. I like it. Of course, the other game I've been playing for review, Star Wars Squadrons, I had a lot of mixed thoughts in the lead up to this game. You know, what are you getting out of a budget Star Wars title that's 40 bucks rather than 60 and they've said there's a single player campaign and it's multiplayer driven and there's there's going to be some cosmetics and unlocks there what does that mean for the depth of gameplay that you're getting and I am very happy to report that it's been a joy to be inside the cockpit of the Star Wars universe once again it really captures the spirit of classic X-Wing versus TIE Fighter adventures of old which I really really dig that first person dogfighting perspective it immerses you into that Star Wars universe and it feels like I'm playing X-Wing Alliance or X-Wing versus TIE Fighter or X-Wing and TIE Fighter respectively having an absolute blast the combat is simple enough to be very approachable so if you are interested and you're not sure if first person is, is for you and you're tr typically third person, I think it's very approachable. And it has a bit more complexity and, and nuance to the gameplay that, that's far more layered than you might otherwise think. It's not just point, shoot, and, and go about your mission. There's a, a bit of adjusting with power levels and power reserves. You can shunt them towards your shields if you're attacking a Star Destroyer head-on, or if you want to blow by a giant capital ship and shift it all into engines and go quickly, you can do that and boost. You can shift them over to lasers if you're trying to take down a, a difficult target. I'm really having a blast with Star Wars Squadrons, and the whole while, I'm thinking that they priced it perfectly. $40, easy buy-in to the level that you're getting. You're not getting incredible cinematics. You're not getting uh, incredible you know, first-person narratives, because when you're not uh, in the mission, you're in your hangar, and you can just kind of click on uh, what you want to give you, you know, more fleshed out character perspectives and find out the backstory to different characters, whether you're playing with the Rebellion or the Empire, and you've got campaigns that interlink between the two as you play through the story. You'll be playing as Rebels, and you'll be playing as the Empire, and their stories weave. The missions go back and forth from different perspectives, and that's a really cool trick that they don't really do enough with, I don't think. Uh, it, there was a couple times where I really wanted to you know, be part of Vanguard Squadron with the Rebels and take on my Empire counterparts and really just have a go at them multiple times to build a rivalry. You don't get enough of that in the, the amount of game that I've played so far. But it doesn't matter. I'm having a blast, whether I'm playing as an A-Wing or TIE Interceptor or the Y-Wing or the TIE Bomber or the X-Wing, which is kind of the balanced one as long as the TIE Fighter. You get a little difference between the, the ships of the Empire without shields, whereas the Rebel ships will take more punishment. It's, it's great. The campaign acts as a tutorial, more or less, but it's fun, and I couldn't care less that it's a tutorial. It's really a full-on campaign to me, and I'm getting to play through different Star Wars scenarios. I love the fact that there's, uh, you know... Co-op battles versus AI, to me, that's a blast. I feel like if they get good engagement with this, they could certainly do more with it if they wanted to and really set up some grander scenes that are, are a bit more famous from the Star Wars timeline, which would be really cool, playing through the Battle of Endor or above Yavin. You actually do some missions above Yavin, which is really cool. Uh, but you're playing an original story, and that's really neat. And it's fun to just you know be using ion missiles or ion cannons and, and lasers and stuff like that. It's just... It's really neat. I'm really digging Star Wars Squadrons. I was very nervous about it because we didn't see a lot of coverage uh, for it. I'm anxious to see how it runs on Series S and X later on. I don't think it'll be a huge boost because the game's not uh, overly rich. It's not even as detailed, I wouldn't say, as Starfighter Assault Mode in Star Wars Battlefront 2. But 
there's a lot more dogfighting emphasis. I, I'm enjoying it. It's fun. If you're a Star Wars fan, it's a must-buy. Without a doubt, if you're a Star Wars fan, this is a must-buy, must-play game. It's very well-priced at 40 bucks. I'm very happy I pre-ordered and bought it. I feel justified in my expense with it. And uh, I'm, having, I'm looking forward to playing more of it, that's for sure. Alrighty, guys, let's rock and roll. Lots of you, lots of you writing in this week, and I could not be more grateful. It is so cool to continue hearing from you guys each and every week, whether there's an interview or not. Uh, I so appreciate having you guys on the show, writing in, putting ratings. It's a blast. It makes me feel part of a community. It makes me feel like I get to foster and be with a community that's positive and supportive, and I can't thank you enough for that. Uh, so many of you wrote in. Let's get to a few of these questions and have a blast with them. Ray Apollo, a brilliant, incredible voiceover on Twitter, incredible streamer as well, writing in. And he says, with load times becoming an actual thing of the past, what's the next step? Ray, oh man, have I thought about this a lot because those load times are so awesome to see. You know, when I see those influencers going through and just blowing past those load times and getting into their game. It, what a great vibe that is, right? And I can't tell you how many games I've been playing of late that I'm just ready to get into the game and stop seeing the loading screen. Goodness, looking at you, Avengers. Uh, but I will say the next thing is cloud-based gaming. And right now, you think we're in cloud-based gaming. We think we are. We see xCloud out there. Luna just made its debut, I suppose. I guess kind of, sort of, with Amazon. Stadia is out there. That's not true cloud gaming in my mind. When I'm saying cloud gaming, what I mean is the ability to run any game on any device via game streaming, that's the next big thing. And again, Stadia, xCloud, Luna, those are out there getting it started. They're getting it ready. They're even Some of them are even rightfully noting that they're in beta. But once you can run xCloud from your Xbox and from your PC, then we'll really see how beneficial it is. When you can just say, hey, I want to play Assassin's Creed Valhalla and click play via xCloud on your Xbox and not have to download and downloads become entirely optional, that will be brilliant. When you can just click up your, your Xbox One controller uh, or your Xbox controller, I should say, and you're next to your PC and you just log into your account and you play, you pick up where you were left, at, left off in Gears Tactics or Microsoft Flight Simulator or anything else on any computer anywhere, then you know where you're at. And the Xbox itself, the later on, I suppose, when PlayStation gets, gets their thing uh, up and running, when you just have the box as the center of your living room, but your account and your game goes with you anywhere, that is what's next. That is what's next. And we're, we're, we're seeing the early versions of that right now, just like we're seeing the early versions of VR. Once those things become more affordable and we see those integrations become more worthwhile and in games are are suited and better suited for cloud gaming, then we'll really see the next generation uh, uh, and the next version of iteration. I, I cannot wait for that. I just, I, that's going to be such a cool feeling. You know, you come home, you turn on your box, you play whatever you play and enjoy yourself, but then you got to leave, go visit parents, you go on a trip, whatnot, and then you, you just log in and have a go. Jump in for a few multiplayer rounds. People are already doing that right now uh, with Destiny 2 and with Gears and Halo. I know I, I do that with my Razer Kishi controller and it's a blast but to do that anywhere anytime and not have to think about it not think oh i'm playing on xcloud that's going to be cool for sure you know I, I thought about a few other things ray while i was you know going through how to answer your question and ai is certainly going to be a factor there the ai that adjusts and thinks a bit more dynamically than say you know computer generated responses machine learning is going to be a big deal uh 
and those will be more enhancing the experiences, not so much the visuals. Uh, that's going to be really cool. Spatial audio is another one. But yeah, I think that the true answer to your question about the next big thing, it's cloud-based gaming. Joey Cisco writing in, and he says, by the way, hello, Joey. He says, Given all the acquisitions of late, and thus lots of the down in the pipe, what do you think will be the most insane year for Xbox ahead? Personally, my gut tells me 2022 will be a banger. Joey, that is a fantastic question, and to be blunt, I think you're exactly right. 2021 is far too soon to reap any rewards from their most recent AAA acquisitions. Uh, and then, of course, the AAA acquisitions they made in 2017-18. Uh, we might see something like that, but when you think about all the AAA games down the pipe, as you say, uh, or in the pipeline, as it were. Uh, 2022 through 2024 is going to be incredible. And you can you can look at you know older acquisitions like Ninja Theory to more recent stuff for Bethesda. I mean, you're getting Avowed, Fable, Fallout, Starfield, Gear 6, whatever the initiative's working on, whatever the next games for machine games and id software, whatever rares other game is apart from Sea of Thieves, whatever Hellblade 2 comes out. Man, you have to think that 2022 and beyond to 2024 are just going to be stacked with quality content. I'm telling you all right now, when you see Xbox Game Pass go on sale, you buy it. You buy it right now. Okay, whenever you see it, right then and there, I should say, buy it up because you're going to want that Game Pass Ultimate subscription. You're not going to want to worry about whether or not you have access to those games. You're not going to want to pay full price because there's no way Game Pass Ultimate can keep providing the quality that it is without raising its prices. So stack that mess. Get it up through 2025 if you can uh, because I cannot think just how great things are on the horizon we're going to be. In the short term, 2021 might be an interesting year. Because we don't know plenty of the things that those studios are working on. But really, what do we know is coming out in 2021 from Xbox First Party? Halo Infinite? Forza? That's the end of my list. Halo Infinite and Forza? And that's... that's Halo and Forza can't, cannot... That's not enough. It's just not enough. Uh, of course, they've got the live service stuff. We know State of Decay 3 is in production. We don't know when these games are launching. How ready is Hellblade 2? I can't imagine it's super ready. But, I mean, hey... Well, that's that's still exciting to think about. I I'm greatly looking forward to Xbox's future, truly about 2022 and beyond. Uh, and I'm excited for 2021 for all the reasons I've listed previously in the show. But I feel those are games that are known quantities. It's really about making the stuff that we have now run a bit better, and a few things come out. But they are going to have to compete with God of War 2 and Horizon Zero or Horizon Forbidden West and anything else that Sony's bringing to the table, they're going to have to compete with that through 2021, and it can't just be value proposition with Game Pass. It just can't be in that alone, right? Uh, lest they, they, they damn the, the mentality and they, they curse the mentality of Game Pass to being filler titles, and you don't want that. And it's not that, to be very clear, but narratives have a strange way of being spun upon the interwebs, and perception is nine-tenths of messaging. So it's not so much how you deliver the message, it's about how it's received. And they need to make sure that the value of Game Pass is received well, and they need to bring you quality stuff in 2021. Great question, Joey. Great question, but I'm in full agreement. It's 2022 and beyond that we're going to be seeing the best of Xbox. Um, but man, it's hard not to be excited right now, that's for sure. Another question here coming in from Mariano Pampa. What's up, buddy? He says, well, he has several questions for us. He says, Luke... You think we'll ever get a look at what the other studios are working on that were not shown at the presumed July event? Uh, when will we see Xbox Series X gameplay? So let's tackle that first. The first stuff there. 
uh, will you ever get a look at this, what the studios were working on that we didn't see in a previous showcase? Yeah, of course, of course you will. You may not see that presentation. Uh, certainly Xbox's plans changed dude, at least five times that I know of. At least five times they had something prepped and being prepared to go out and then a leak or a situation, a manufacturing thing, a COVID-related uh, incident or the timing of a competitor or something else in the industry happened to change their plans. And I'm sure some of that stuff got scrapped. Some of that stuff was never meant to be hit to consumers. It was meant to go out to press and PR so they could better understand for their um, for their presentations for for their versions of content. But I don't. I, I think some of that's just lost to the ether. And it is odd. I fully expect an October showcase ahead of of the Series X launch just to show some of that Xbox Series X gameplay that we've not really seen much of. We've seen great teardowns of the boxes. We've seen great teardowns of backward compatibility and how those games will run on o for OG games and then Xbox 360 games and then Xbox One games. We haven't really seen any Xbox Series X or S gameplay, probably due to the fact that it's difficult to get that gameplay out and showing what's different about it over the interweb and in a showcase. The only game that I can really think of as showing true next-gen visuals in gameplay were very quick snippets of Miles Morales and Spider-Man Remaster. And then very quick snippets of Ratchet and Clank, and both of those are on the Sony side. Microsoft not done a good job with that just yet. I have to think that they want those games in the those developers in the developers. In, they want those games in the influencers' hands first, so that they can explain to their audiences what they may not be able to see via a stream. Because not all streams kick out in 4K. Why would they? It's a lot of data to burn uh, for for something that not everybody can even see with themselves. So. That's what I think the holdup is. That's not to say I agree with that holdup, but uh, they're definitely being very tactical in their delivery of information and trying to roll with the punches of leaks and anything else. It's just a very strange time. Mariano had a, a, another question here, and I really like it. He says, how well do you think Xbox is doing right now, and what can they improve? I love this question because Xbox is absolutely rocking. They are rocking on nearly every front right now. Their messaging has been pretty darn clear. They they handled, I would say, the pre-orders as well as can be expected. They did a great job showcasing the Xbox Series X. They're putting the Xbox Series S units out there. Uh, they've shown us why we are building for a future, and they're giving value in their Game Pass Ultimate subscription bar none, completely unrivaled in the industry. And they're doing a great job at showing why xbox maintains value for gamers but what they are not doing well is on the third party marketing front and that to me is a huge mistake given the way that sony dominated the last gen in terms of unit sales and more specifically with mindshare there's no doubt that xbox made tons of money this generation despite having a terrible launch to the xbox one there's no doubt in my mind that engagement numbers are the true metric of just how well your ecosystem is doing however the more commercials that said playstation at the end of them in that past generation the more evident it was that xbox wasn't landing the deals that they, they perhaps needed to i'm thinking of call of duty thinking of spider-man which they inherently lost over to, to insomniac i'm thinking of marvel's avengers which would have been a great get had Xbox done it, and clearly Spider-Man had something to do with it because he's now an exclusive character over on Sony's side. So to me, it is a, a travesty and a frustration point that they did not gobble up and spend whatever they needed to money-wise on the marketing for Gotham Knights and Suicide Squad. 
if the big superhero blockbuster titles of, of Spider-Man and Avengers are going over to Sony's side, Microsoft should have made a concerted effort to lock down a Batman title in Gotham Knights or something with Suicide Squad. At the very least to say, oh, because we've got a superhero game that we're marketing. I say that. And I say that knowing full well that that money was clearly spent in other places. Bethesda is huge. $7.5 billion being spent to bring them into the first party-esque fold. A lot of debate on whether they're first party or not. I don't really care right now. Um, not for not for me to worry about at this time. But uh, I, I think they're certainly spending their money on good things. But I would have liked to see that marketing deal go over to them, uh, to say the least. They need to do a better job of that showcasing Xbox at the beginning and end of commercials so that people have that in their mindset. That that needs to be something that they take with it. And who knows, maybe they will get those marketing deals, but it looks like that's going to, WB is headed over to uh, Sony for the marketing yet again, and that to me is a big mistake. Ooh, we are rocking and rolling. Jordan, a first-time writer in. What's up, Jordan? He says, just wanted to get your thoughts about the mass dispensing of consoles for major media and influencers to preview this far ahead of launch. Am I going to be reaching out to Jeff Grubb again? Uh, and then he wants to know if we have any more surprises coming this month, the Bethesda tease or something like that. Great questions, Jordan. Uh, I'm not going to be reaching out to Jeff again to be on the show. I don't want to occupy his time. He certainly has his own career and stuff. And it was his first time on the show just recently, and so I don't want to you know, go back to the same well too many times in, in a row there. I do have a few people that I've pinged out hoping to, to come join me for interviews at some point. Uh, and we'll see what happens. I'd like to get more back to the developer side and get more guests that are, are on the development side. Because I like to, the whole goal is to – what I like to do and the goal of the show is to give you – a perspective on the Xbox ecosystem that you wouldn't have, right? That's the, what I like to do when I bring people onto the show. We've had a lot of developers on. We've, of course, had people like Ryan McCaffrey and Jeff Grubb on to talk about you know, the industry side from, from their perspective. But to me, it's really fun to hear people that make games, and big and small. So looking forward to doing that. Of course, we had Ori and Grounded spotlighted, 12 minutes spotlighted. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think I see myself asking Jeff to come back on soon unless he wants to because he's always welcome, that's for sure. Uh, and as far as surprises for coming up from, from the next month, yeah, I think you'll see something in the October showcase uh, if there is going to be one. I know that there there was one, there wasn't, there was, there wasn't. As far as a Bethesda tease, I don't think you see anything new from Bethesda, really. I don't think they're ready to show much. Uh, I think, if anything, it's more of a, hey, the rest of our catalog is now in Game Pass. Go back and play Prey because it was in there. Now it's not. You know, Go back and play this game or that game. I think that's what you're, you're going to see, if anything, is on the Bethesda front. Famous Seamus, the most famous Seamus that I have ever seen, has written in, and he asks, I would say it's a pretty fun one. He says, with Crash 4 out now, what classic series do you want to see come back in the next generation of console gaming? And we hear this question a lot, right, Famous? We hear this on a lot of Xbox shows. Look back into the well. What do you want to, to bring back to the forefront? And I have been enjoying the renaissance of 3D-ish platformers with Crash and Spyro, New Super Lucky's Tale. Those, to me, are awesome. But every time I think of those, it makes me wish, and I suppose it's not classic, but I really wish Disney Infinity and Skylanders had a digital release because all those assets are just going to waste, and I didn't really enjoy buying toys to life stuff but i like the simple platforming that they brought you know i liked running and jumping and killing bad guys in a super easy way but in worlds that were cool or bright or colorful those can be a nice break from something far more intense like hellblade or gears uh etc uh so those th that jumps in my mind but i don't think answers your question 
you know, right away. Uh, as far as classic series, it'd be cool to see Gex the Gecko come back, right? Like, that would be fun. I always say Crimson Skies. Would love to see a new Crimson Skies. Blinks and Conquer uh, come to mind. And then Stubbs the Zombie. You know, th those would all be really fun cult classic games to come back. They don't have any marketing panache, marketing, you know, panache with them. There's nothing special about them. There's no real... Uh, you're not going to hit with the kids and nobody's going to get super excited for Stubbs the Zombie outside of a bunch of old farts on the internet, and that would include me. But uh, it'd be neat to see it happen. Sony, I think, experimented with that. They had some great success returning to the well uh, and bringing in some classic remasters. They also had another medi medieval, and that didn't do anything. And so uh, there's a lot to be learned in that. But given given Microsoft's efforts to to try and bring you a title or two per quarter from Xbox Game Studios, and now they have 25 studios to work on, it's not unreal to think that they might be doing something with some classic titles and bringing you Battletoads-esque style games. I mean, they did just bring us Battletoads, so that's uh, that to be has to be noted, and I think Dalala did a decent job with that. Um, I'm not still playing Battletoads, which is interesting. I, I thought I would keep playing that on xCloud, and I haven't gone back to it, despite, you know, kind of enjoying enjoying a good amount of it. I thought the review scores were pretty accurate, and I, I know I wasn't thrilled by the gameplay, but yeah, I think those classic games can be cool, but they don't always sell, and we'll, we'll see. Like, what could be brought back that would truly sell? Truly sell? I, I don't know. Crimson Sky is probably the strongest one in that area, and I don't even know that that would do it, per se. Fable's coming back, though. Let's go with our last question of the day. So many of you wrote in, and I, I had to pluck out more because we had a light news week and it was fun. Uh, and Hypecaster asks the question that I touched on last week, and I want to just go back to it because it's a fun one. He says, do you think Xbox would ever attempt a Smash Brothers-type brawler with Bethesda representation, exclusive IP? I imagine we'd see some cool mashups of characters. Yes and no is the answer to that question, Hypecaster. Uh, we saw PlayStation try to do that with PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale, which was a fantastic brawler. Come at me, anybody. That game was awesome. I loved it. Um, I think Microsoft has enough IP that they could do this with, and I hope they are doing something with it. I don't need it to be Smash Brothers style, because that would just be ripping off Smash Brothers, and they're already working to get their properties into Smash Brothers. Minecraft Steve just over there. However, it would be really cool if they took the efforts of Killer Instinct, one of their properties, and modified it a bit, maybe to have some tag team fighters or whatnot, but find a way to get Marcus Phoenix battling BJ Blazkowicz. You know, chainsaws are in there. Magic spells cast between Ori and the Dragonborn. That'd be real cool. Cuphead uh, battling the kid from Fallout, from all those pit boys. Those would be, I always call him Fallout Boy. I just think it's funny. Uh, but, you know, that those would be cool there. And, of course, we'd get our, uh, to me, the most cool battle would be Doom Guy versus Master Chief. I would love a fighter that is a bit Killer Instinct, a bit Street Fighter with those characters and properties. I'd love to see what they come up with. You know, how do you fight uh, Cuphead between Ori or Cuphead between the Dragonborn? What do you do with the guy from Prey or Minecraft Steve? Does he show up now uh, over in that? I would love to see them play with their properties, put a Battletoad in there. And Killer Instinct's already done this to an extent. The Arbiter, the Battletoads were already in there. I would love to see more done with that. I would think Killer Instinct 2 or whatever their their newly rebirthed version could really be something special. I would love to see it have a lot of crossover titles. I love when titles cross over. I think when you see it in Forza, it was fantastic to play through that Halo level. I love when I see those liveries in Sea of Thieves or when you can play 
in State of Decay and have stuff from Sea of Thieves over on that side. To me, that's the coolest thing is when you have crossovers that are respectful and fun, but not at the expense of the game you're playing. I love that when I'm see, you know sailing in Sea of Thieves and I've got a Battletoads hull or a Gears of War hull. That's fun. I want a Killer Instinct-esque style fighting game, a little bit simpler to play, more like Street Fighter personally. Uh, but yeah, man, I would love that. Who wouldn't love that? That'd be a blast. You can't do it Smash Brothers style because that's already been done. It's been done in PlayStation side. It's been done on Nintendo side. So, so make it your own. That's what I would say there. As we bring this show to a close, I have to tell you how much I enjoy making XEP. In the podcast world, it is tough to to know which milestone to celebrate because uh, we had 50 episodes just two episodes ago, right? That's a huge deal. Oh my gosh, 50 episodes is a great number. It's, everyone's excited by it. And the other side of it is I do a weekly show and we just hit episode 52. And we are at the year anniversary of launching XEP. And that is, to me, just so exciting to think about because I launched the show. I do a, I mean, it's solo hosted, so I didn't know if anybody would listen. People are checking it out, you know, rotating in and out. Would people stay? And it's it's been a fantastic journey thus far, and I cannot tell you how much I enjoy doing it each and every week and enjoy the comments and the interaction with you guys on Twitter and the emails, like, that is a pure joy to me, and I can't thank you enough when you tag me in, in tweets about you know which podcasts are your favorites or you, you let people know about the show. Thank you to all of you. This has been an incredible year. It's been an, a year of making content to celebrate games, to celebrate Xbox and celebrate the rivalries that it brings and the joy that it brings. I love talking about PlayStation on here in a respectful manner, talking about Nintendo in a respectful manner because they're important to that Xbox ecosystem, and there's no reason we can't enjoy that consistently each and every week. And so thank you all for listening to this show, for enjoying and sharing it out there. Um, I, I think back to some of my favorite memories of this this, ep- this this show in general, let's put it that way, and I think about how nervous I was to have Red Blue Games on as the first guest. They made Sparklight, and uh, how, how nervous I was for that, to, to talk to people like incredible human beings like Steven Spawn, who's the COO of Able Gamers, to talk to Rebecca Valentine from GamesIndustry.biz was so cool. And then, you know, another great charity is Gamers Outreach. Zach Weigel, the founder of that, came on this show and talked. And all the while, we talked to voice actors like Sissy Jones. And I'm thinking about, you know, Paul Bettner and his stories about Halo. And then Jeremy Gritton from Ori and Tatiana Delgado, who's making Call of the Sea, which is coming out on Series X. And hearing her talk about her game, it, it is... It's such a joy to get to have this with you guys every week. And so those are just some memories of mine that I enjoy. I loved talking to Adam Brennicky from Obsidian. Getting to talk to Ryan McCaffrey was a great bit of hero worship for me to get to talk to people that cover games. And I, I have lots of like internal goals of people that I would love to have on the show to give us insight into that Xbox ecosystem. Uh, but I wouldn't need any of that. I really wouldn't need you know some of those bigger names to come on the show at all if I keep getting to do it each and every week and, and get to hang out with people that care. So thank you for listening to the show. If you, you've rated it, I thank you double, I suppose. Uh, but really, thank you for listening. That is the most appreciative I could ever ever say. Thank you for that. Uh, I look forward to each and every week, and uh, I hope you, you do too. Take care, guys. Mm-hmm.